Hi, folks. This is Rich Larson. Thank you for joining us on the Public Policy This Week podcast. If you like what you hear on the show, please consider leaving us a review or telling a friend about us. Also, please consider subscribing so you'll receive a brand new edition of the show every time we make one available. We hope you find Public Policy This Week entertaining and informative. And thanks again for listening. Welcome to Public Policy This Week, a well-rounded weekly discussion of policy issues that frame today's American experience. Good morning. It is Friday, August 5th, and you've joined us for Public Policy This Week. Yep. This is a brand new show dedicated to the honest, frank, and open discussion of public policy issues. Each week, we'll be taking a deep dive into a public policy issue, and we'll have guests on who are experts in the field. We're going to stay away from the politics of an issue to the greatest extent possible and instead concentrate on research, on data-driven findings, and facts, helping us to arrive at smart, comprehensive, integrative public policy solutions to the shared challenges we face in society. For today's show, your hosts will be John Olson, a retired commander in the U.S. Navy, adjunct faculty at Carleton College, author, and former candidate for the Minnesota Senate. And your other host is well-known to our listeners, Bruce Moreland. Bruce co-hosted The Climate Show here for four years. You can often find his commentary on policy issues and other topics in the Northfield News, among other, public, uh, among other publications. So, let's set the stage here. For today's show, we're going to be taking a hard look at mining in northern Minnesota. We all remember taconite mining has been here for almost a century. Uh, I actually remember when 3M used to do movies without commercial interruption, but you had a 20-minute commercial on taconite mining first. (laughs) Uh, But in any case, there's a new kind of mining that's being discussed for the Arrowhead region of our state, and that type of mining has caused quite a stir. Northern Minnesota is a unique geological area. Because of plate tectonics, there's a seam of vital minerals, copper, nickel, cobalt, and others in our state, some of the largest deposits in the country. At a time when we know we need to shift to clean energy, having these minerals in abundance to help us transition away from fossil fuels to clean renewable energy, namely through the electrification of our power systems, transportations, and other innovations. So we're going to need those minerals. You'd think it'd be a no-brainer to ensure mining happens in northern Minnesota to extract these critical materials, but there are serious concerns linked to the situation. The process to extract copper, nickel, and other minerals from the rock in northern Minnesota leaves behind a caustic, weak, acidic sludge, and even dry stacking, as they call it, of waste products isn't immune to penetrating the watersheds. We have two mining projects that are of concern for potential environmental damage. One mine is very near the Boundary Waters canoe area, which many Minnesotans know is one of the most pristine wilderness areas in our nation and is a top recreation destination every year. The other proposed project is much larger, and waste could flow down into Lake Superior. These two projects are usually referred to as Twin Metals and Polymet, respectively. With us today today to discuss these two projects and issues linked to them are Arnie Carlson, who served as governor of Minnesota from 1991 to 1999, and Chris Knopf, executive director of Friends of the Boundary Waters. Governor Arnie Carlson and Chris Knopf, welcome to this week's edition of Public Policy This Week. We're pleased to have you join us today. Governor Carlson, where are you this morning? I'm in Lake City, right on the uh, Mississippi River. And I bet it's beautiful down there this morning. It's a lovely day, absolutely perfect weather. (laughs) And Chris Knopf, how about you? Where do we find you this morning? 
Morning, John. I'm just north of St. Paul here, and it's a, a, a beautiful morning for, for me as well. So good morning to, to you, John, and good morning to you, Bruce, and Governor Carlson. Boy, I hope everybody appreciates that we're giving up this beautiful weather to be inside so we can talk. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, let's go ahead and get started. Our audience would benefit from some background on these two major mining projects. So could you tell us a little bit about the two parent companies that are seeking to mine copper, nickel, cobalt, and other minerals in northern Minnesota? Chris? Sure, you know, uh, Governor Carlson, I'll 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 tee this up here, and and so as as uh, John and Bruce uh, mentioned here, there are two proposed mines. One is Twin Metals, which which is <laughs> just at the edge of the Boundary Waters Canoe area, and the other is Polymet, uh, which is a little further to the south, and now has the distinction of uh, that it would pollute both Lake Superior and and the Boundary Waters. So Twin Metals is owned by a large Chilean conglomerate called Anifagasta. Polymed is owned by a large Swiss conglomerate called Glencore. And both Anifagasta and Glencore have a terrible uh, record of, of human rights abuses, of uh, public corruption, of environmental degradation around the world. So they, those are the two parent companies that would be uh, in charge of safeguarding the boundary waters and, and Lake Superior as part of their, their operations here. And so uh, th uh, this type of mining is, as, as John mentioned at the beginning, it's different than, than taconite mining. And the, the challenge is, is, is this, is that what you end up having is a, is a, a mineral vein of less than half, about a half of a percent. So you have 99 and a half percent waste. And as part of that waste, what you have is sulfide in the ore. And so that's different than the taconite. And so when you have sulfide and put it in contact with water, you get sulfuric acid. And so, so it's a much different ball game. And when you get that contamination into the water, the genie's out of the bottle and you can't stuff the genie back in. So you have the permanent pollution of, 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 our, of our water, the boundary waters of Lake Superior as part of these projects here. And, and Chris, if I could quickly follow up on that, uh, and I do have a follow-up question for Governor Carlson as well, but I just uh, read in the uh, newspaper that uh, Polymet is now partnering with another mining company, uh, Tech, is that right, uh, to share the, the effort uh, on the Polymet mine? It's exactly right. So uh, Tech is a, a, a third uh, foreign company that would like to operate here in Minnesota. And it has uh, 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 mineral, uh, it's been doing exploratory mineral leasing, uh, mineral uh, 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 drilling very close to the proposed Polymet uh, mine, but within a mile of it. And so these two companies, Polymet and Tech, have uh, announced a joint venture. And so what this means is that Polymet for, for the last 15 years has been asserting that the mine would be of a certain size. And we've been contending that the real operation would be much bigger and operate and, and generate even more pollution. And this kind of, uh, this kind of takes the, the mask away and shows that we were right, that this joint venture between Polymet and Tech would create a much bigger mine and result in even greater pollution. And so this shows that we've been um, arguing for the last several years that this is it will be a much bigger operation is in fact the case. And that's what this uh, uh, proposed joint venture that uh, was just announced in the last few weeks uh, reveals. Okay. 
That's an uh, in, interesting problem because we're going to be talking about uh, the shell corporations and how they're used to kind of provide a fusible link so that the money can get away from the, the problems. And uh, we've asked you today, one of the things we're hoping you can do is give us some perspective on, on the locations, maybe a little bit more talk about that. They're going to be mining for copper, nickel, and cobalt, amongst other minerals. And if you've ever, if you read anything about electric vehicles, you know that those minerals are all critical to the whole transportation industry uh, electrification process. So I'm going to remind everybody the Twin Metals Project that we were talking about is located at the southern edge of the Boundary Waters Canoe area. Is that right? And, the, yes. uh, and it's focused on copper and nickel. The Polymet Project lies northwest of Duluth in drainage that goes to Lake Superior and to the Boundary Waters. So it's kind of like across the continental divide there in some sense. Um, is there anything else you'd like to tell us about the areas about these, where these uh, two proposed mines are located? Any other comments on that? Sure. The, the, you know, these are, are beautiful areas. The, the Twin Metals mine uh, would be located right on the shores of Birch Lake and just a matter of yards away from it. And so what they're proposing there is, is something that the, in kind of really the, 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 the lie of it is they'll say they'll, they'll store the waste in a dry stack. If for anyone that's ever uh, been at uh, built a sandcastle at a beach, you know that you can't have a really a, a full dry stack because if you had, then this then that sandcastle doesn't hold together and it just it just it just spreads out. And so what they really so it's it's really a lie. So you need moisture as part of this mountain of waste they're going to be creating on the shore, and and so in order just to keep it together. And so they need to have effectively like a dam that holds back that water around this uh, this uh, this mountain of waste. But they're saying uh, that they don't have to comply with any dam requirements because they don't have a, a dam. That's the first lie. The second lie is that uh, they say that this is going to be a, a zero water uh, operation that they will not have water go out of this out of this mine. They'll, they'll have a way of recirculating it. And so we know that it rains and snows in Minnesota. So you're going to have a lot of water coming on, onto the site here and have to deal with that. And let's just assume for a minute that, that they will, that they, that they would have a way of, of dealing with that circulation while the mine is operating. Well, what happens when the mine is closed in 20 years? What's going to happen then? They're not going to be recirculating that. So what you're going to have is a mountain of waste and, 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 thousands if not millions of gallons of water that will ultimately end up in, into the water system and pollute the boundary waters. Now, Polymet is even a more polluting type of, of mine. It's even, even worse in one sense, if you would. It's an open pit mine. So, and it, the way they would store the waste is they would create a 900 acre lake of, of toxic waste held back by an earthen dam. And that earthen dam would have to last for 500 years hold back that waste and so you know that's twice the twice the length of the history of our country here and so you're really you know so that's what that's the house of cards you have for polymet here and it's located in this beautiful wetland area that's at the headwaters of uh, the major tributary to lake superior so so that's kind of uh, 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 the context for the location of both those mines uh bruce yeah and i do want to follow up quickly with, may, yeah uh, go ahead may go, yeah, let me broaden this discussion for a minute. Walter Mondale, some time back, put out a statement that never, ever in history has there been an example of this type of mining 
not permanently harming the water. Nobody to this day has refuted that comment. Nobody. And that's the fundamental issue. Because what's at stake here is the quality of the water of Lake Superior. That's the largest body of fresh surface water in the world. It will ultimately be the reservoir for the entire upper Midwest, including Minnesota. So our own health, our own livelihood is at, is, is at stake. Now, the state itself, in its own environmental impact statement, made the declaration that the polymet mine will permanently damage the waters surrounding it, including Lake Superior, for over 500 years. That's the premise we start with. Not with the premise that, gee, we need the metals. But the first premise is, what do we have to do to sustain life? We cannot live without water. Today, we know that roughly one-third of Minnesota is in a drought condition. Now, we also know that over 60%, and this is the DNR, this is the, I'm sorry, the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency, some 60% of our rivers, streams, lakes, etc., are now polluted. And it's growing each year. This last November, they declared another 304 bodies of water adversely affected, including the Upper St. Croix. The St. Croix goes into the Mississippi, and it's from the Mississippi that the metropolitan area draws its water. If we continue to poison our water, where, pray tell, will we drink? What will we do to sustain life? That's the issue. The burden of proof has to shift, not from us being defensive, but rather asking our political leadership, one, why are we in business with two of the world's most corrupt companies? And I'm not joking when I say if we can be in business with those two, why aren't we in business with the mafia? <laughs> now, one single elected official on either side of the aisle has been willing to answer that question. Not one. And that's the first question. The second question is, what are you going to do long-term to provide healthy, clean water for Minnesotans to drink? That answer they also refuse to give. Therein lies our problem. So, Governor, I'd like to follow up on those thoughts. Uh, I, I know you're not a big fan of either Antofagasta or Glencore. I've heard you talk about both of them. Uh, the shell companies that, have, that they have created, uh, Twin Metals, uh, which is the shell company for Antofagasta, and Polymet, which is the shell company for Glencore. Uh, Chris, you're a lawyer. Governor Carlson, you're, you're very familiar with politics and business. Why do you create shell companies uh, rather than going in as your primary multinational corporation uh, to mine in a place like northern Minnesota where there's a little bit of controversy about the projects themselves. Okay, for the benefit of our listeners, I would urge every I would urge every single listener to Google Glencore and Google Anafagasta. Don't take my word for the fact that the two of the world's most corrupt companies look up and see what's said on the Google w w Wikipedia. On May 21st of this year, the federal district court in New York fined 
Glencore $1.5 billion for bribery of public officials. $1.5 billion. Now, what makes us think that we have a, have a wall of virtue that surrounds Minnesota that prevents bad actors from misbehaving in Minnesota? Does all evil start at the Wisconsin-Iowa borders and protect Minnesota? No. We're being extremely naive if we think we can get into bed with Glencore and survive. We will be the losers. Now, let me answer your question. Because your question goes to the first act of deceit. And that is to set up a, a, a shell corporation that is entirely beholden and controlled by you, but you assume no liability. For instance, in 2019, a mining company caused some $7 billion of damage in Brazil. If that were a shell corporation, you couldn't recover a dime. They simply fold up, in this case, they will fold up Polymet, and bingo, they assume no liability. Glencore is not on any permit with Minnesota. It's not on any contract with Minnesota. We have no way, realistically, to collect any money from Glencore. I'll tell you who should be on the show. Not Chris Knopf and Arnie Carlson, but the governor of the state of Minnesota and Republican legislative leaders and Democratic leaders answering the question why they have refused to do anything about this. That's the problem. And, and you know, so, Governor, there's a, a potential legislative uh, solution for that that very specific uh, problem. One is is we there's a proposed bad actor bill in the Minnesota legislature that has not received a hearing, and what that bad actor bill would would do is that for these uh, uh, copper sulfide mines, that if the uh, if the uh, applicants for those mines have uh, a, a record. Of, uh, of corruption, environmental degradation, uh, human rights abuses in, uh, in, uh, in Minnesota, the, uh, elsewhere in the United States or abroad, then they can't operate here in Minnesota. So it's, it's very simple. Like you wouldn't have, just as you wanna keep the mafia out of, out of solid waste, and just as you wouldn't want a, a surgeon with a, a malpractice violation in Iowa or Wisconsin operating here, you know, you don't want the Anifagastas or the Glencores of the world operating here. So that law, which has not received a, a hearing by either the Democratic uh, DFL House or the Republican Senate, uh, would, would provide that protection to keep these bad actors out of Minnesota. Or any support from the administration whatsoever. That, that's 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 uh, correct. So we're, we're really not... Now, let uh, me ask you a question. Have you heard a single elected official tell us why... There hasn't been a single hearing on any of these bills to protect the quality of water and the lives of Minnesotans. I, I have not heard uh, in, any of that no. discussion. And I know that there's been a lot of uh, probing from the Star Tribune and others asking the question, you know, what are we doing to protect our water resources? Mm -hmm. uh, gentlemen, we need to... I have uh, not we need it to continue. Sorry, yeah, I'm sorry, Governor. We need to go ahead and press on. For our audience, this is Public Policy This Week, and we're your hosts, John Olson and Bruce Moreland. Our guests today are Governor Arnie Carlson and Chris Knopf, Executive Director of Friends of the Boundary Waters, and we're discussing copper and nickel mining in northern Minnesota. All right. Um, 
Gentlemen, I have a question for you to kind of, you've painted an interesting picture about the situation, and I'm just going to drop a quick personal note in. As a township official, we have gravel mining going on in our area, and we basically require a bond or a letter of credit that guarantees that we can correct any problems that come from those mines. And that's, so could we, I'm going to ask this kind of off the list question, could we get these uh, shell corporations to have to pony up the $7 billion that we suspect? (laughs) And we'll hold it. And if after 30 or 40 years, we'll give it back to them if nothing's happened. Could we do something like that? Or is there a strategy that would let, because I wrote an LTE to the Duluth News Tribune where I said, if Minnesota can't do this mining right, then we can't count on an electric future. It's not fair to let the Chinese pillage their way through the Congo to get these minerals and pretend that some, uh, somehow we've saved the universe. Uh, it's, a, it's a social justice issue, which is really fun for me as a conservative to be the voice of social justice. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> sorry, I had, I had to throw that in. So what do you say to people living in northern Minnesota who might be you know, third or fourth generation miners uh, when they ask why you oppose the mines? <clears throat> Sure. Well, Jeff uh, and and Bruce, I'll, there maybe like three or four points in your your questions there. The, the first on, on the on the on the financial assurance on, on the on the uh, really on the taxpayer protection of things. So so polymet is the is really the snowplow for all future copper sulfide mines. So it's much further along. So we have some real insight into that. And so for for polymet, uh, the financial assurance requirements is. Is that as as the term of art is at the, at the at the state, the um, uh, polymet would would begin putting money in around year ten of operation to fund a a, a financial assurance package at the end of like twenty to twenty five years of operation. Here's the problem with that. First, first that that just deals with the financial liability if things go perfectly fine. Perfectly fine, and and uh, so just dealing with the potential uh, uh, exposure for for something uh, uh, going with it, and, and then then second of all, let's say in year ten of operation, what you at that point you have about twenty five million dollars in this this trust fund, and you have over a billion dollars of potential of potential remediation if you had to close the mine then and kind of and kind of deal with the restoration. Well, what we, you'd see what would happen there. You would you would just simply uh, bankrupt Polymet at that at that point, and the state of Minnesota would be left with that. And that does not deal with even the catastrophic exposure that you would have that that Governor Carlson was was talking about. So that's that's really, you know, uh, a shifting whether you're conservative or liberal. That's shifting the cost onto Minnesota taxpayers. So so which in order to protect, protect taxpayers, you'd want to, to have that fund funded right up front in cash. So that's the, the taxpayer protection bill that we also have before the Minnesota legislature that has not gotten a hearing. I think, Bruce, you have a, a follow-up question there? I sort of do. Uh, Governor Carlson, is this what you were talking about when you're talking about corruption at the highest levels or at, at, in the sense that we've managed to write a 20- I think this is I think this is corrupt from, from the beginning to right now. Right. It continues. Yeah. Um, you have a company that was founded by Mark Rich, 
Mark Rich was the person who was pardoned in the last hour of, of Clinton's administration and a huge uproar about it. He had been already convicted of tax evasion in the United States. He went to Switzerland, put together a series of mining companies, and all they've done is exploit resources, engage in child labor. What they really specialize in is the bribery of public officials. They're, they're wonderful at it and with a great success record. Uh, they just reported, I think, today record profits from mining. Uh, so they're doing very, very well. Um, but one of the things they do do is spin off uh, shell corporations and then walk away when the harm uh, occurs. You raised the question earlier, why not bonds? Well, that's a very good question. Uh, what's the answer? <laughs> the answer is Glencore doesn't want to post any money for it. That's the answer. Well, they will assume absolutely no liability whatsoever. They will leave the taxpayer with the full burden uh, to pay the damages. But the worst damage will be that we will have destroyed one of the world's finest supplies of fresh water. And I don't know where Minnesota will go to get its water in the future. Let me just throw one other fact at you. I think it was Pew Research backed up by National Geographic and ultimately by Time Magazine. 50% of the world by 2025 will be in water-stressed areas. Yeah. Yes. 40 states out of 50 in the United States will be in water-stressed areas. The issue is not where do we get zinc or copper, etc. The issue is going to be where do we get our water? And the answer right now is we get it from the Mississippi, Lake Superior, and the watersheds that, that, that contribute to it. If we poison them, we are poisoning our own body. And our elected officials are perfectly willing to do that as long as they can stay in office. I'm sorry to report that. It's a terrible thing to have to say, but it's true. Well, and well, not I... one public official is willing to come on the air and answer these questions. Not one. All they do is block hearings. Chris can talk about all the great legislative ideas that they have, but none of them get a hearing. We haven't had a vote on a single bill. We couldn't even get a vote on a bill to allow the University of Minnesota to fund the University of Minnesota to do a long-term water study. Don't you think a, an intelligent state wants to know where it's going to be three years from now, five years from now, particularly on a supply of quality air and quality water? Our official answer was no. I, I do want to follow up very quickly on one of the things that Bruce said, uh, and I think this is important because it's, you know, every election comes down to economics and we, we need to be focused on those issues for people all across our state. Uh, he did mention, you know, third and fourth generation miners up in northern Minnesota really would like to see these mines open. E either you, Chris, or, or Governor Carlson, do you have a response to that? I mean, I I'm a big fan I, of capitalism. I, 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 I think we have to set priorities. <laughs> okay. Uh, first of all, there is not a single job that's guaranteed in the contract, not one. Mm. Now, isn't that strange? The truth is we're living in an age of artificial intelligence, and, and a good number of those jobs will not involve people, they will involve technology. Secondly, many of the jobs will be, or people fulfilling those jobs, particularly supervisory positions and management positions will come from outside the state of Minnesota. 
So they're not labor intense. Harvard University some years back did put out a study on how we can diversify our economy. One of the things I have long suggested and written to the governor about is why not move some of your departments, particularly pieces of the DNR and the, the pollution control agency up north and create a job environment and be very protective and enhance the tourist industry up there. But right now with all these companies and they're looking at us from China all over the world on how they can do more mining and that now includes the Brainerd area. Mm -hmm. to, to follow up on Governor Carlson's comments and, and to um, <laughs> address your, your question there, there Bruce here, I mean, the, the economics is a, is a really important one and it's even broader than economics. It's, a, it's kind of a cultural one. So the basic dynamic, it's, you know, Oh, a bunch of hoity-toity folks from the Twin Cities come up uh, <laughs> up to the north there and kind of use it as a playground and uh, and forget about the the real people there and and you know uh, that that's that sort of uh, uh, comment you know it has some resonance uh, for me I I come from a, a steel town uh, Cleveland Ohio and so all that taconite that that uh, is mined up there uh, goes to my my home hometown here and I, I think the the question should be you know uh, as we kind of look at the economics it, the, really the question is how to make those communities thrive you know how to make them you know not just prosperous but thriving communities and so you have to look at at, at schools you have to look at access to health care and you have to look to economic diversification and so uh, you know a lot of those communities up there in order to uh, to have access to health care, you have to go down to Duluth, you know, mm. if you're in, in Ely or Virginia or, or some of these places in order for the appropriate medical care. So I think part of making these communities just thrive is you have to ensure that they have adequate access to health care. And that's something that's a, a an, an essential part of making a, a strong community. A second part is, is on the education end here. We have Vermilion Community College in Ely and you have other community and uh, technical colleges up north there. And I think those those community colleges need to be adequately funded and you need to have a uh, tuition that is uh, is much more accessible for, for students from the area to be educated and trained in, in order and then then stay in those areas there. I, I think a, a, a third a third part of this is is truly to look at uh, an economic diversification for the area there. There there are businesses there that will say that uh, the local banks there, you know, don't fund uh, businesses in the communities there. They, they they'll fund they'll fund people from the Twin Cities or elsewhere to buy cabins, but they won't fund a small business small business loan for expansion of a restaurant. Or, or something, or something there for a commercial enterprise. So you have you have access to need to make it e easier to to access uh, capital. So so those are you know some some very basic things to make sure you have a prosperous, thriving community. You need to need to do that. So so, so what I think I hear if, both if, of you if saying. I can add on, yeah, go ahead, Gar. Yeah, if I could just add on this, I, I think what Chris says is frightfully important. There has to be a discussion on all impacted areas in Minnesota as to what we can do to revive them economically. The truth of the matter is, if you keep going back to the old saw of this is the way it used to be, therefore we must protect the old ways in spite of the fact that it will kill human life and destroy us, uh, that's not acceptable. you got to look at the alternatives. I brought up the Harvard study I probably should have amplified. 
they talked about diversification. They talked about the opportunities of diversification. Uh, when, when, when we were governor, as part of the Northwest deal to keep Min Northwest flying in Minnesota, now Delta, uh, part of it was to bring more jobs into northern Minnesota, and that worked. Uh, Peter Gillette was a former banker and just excellent, and he was he was really the driver that brought, I think it's called Siri Aircraft, up mm. into Duluth and created hundreds mm. of jobs up, up there. If there's an effort uh, to create jobs outside of the mining industry, uh, that's what we should get into. But all I've heard so far is, no, the choice is either we destroy human life by continuing this type of mining, sulfide mining, or uh, you allow uh, you 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 keep people impoverished. That's not our choice. Diversification is the choice, but that takes leadership and focus and resources. Chris is right. You move more resources up there. Okay, I'm going to just remind everybody that this is public policy this week, and we're your hosts, Bruce Moreland and John Olson. Our guests today are Arnie Carlson, former governor of Minnesota, and Chris Knopf, executive director of Friends of the Boundary Waters. And we're discussing copper and nickel mining in northern Minnesota. Uh, gentlemen, I believe the, the U.S. Department of the Interior just released a report uh, very recently on the proposed mining ventures in northern Minnesota. Uh, scientific work is is generally what has always been used to guide public policy decisions uh, in our state, I mean, at least traditionally. Uh, we also have a complex set of environmental studies at the state level that often determine the viability of these kinds of projects. I, I have sort of a, a two-part question for the two of you. Uh, what did the Department of the Interior report say, and why was it delayed so long from being completed? And maybe you could also talk about the permitting process for mining in Minnesota. Uh, we do have some of the most stringent environmental standards in the country, but is the permitting process itself done well? I'll, I'll leave it to either of you to answer that. Sure. Uh, uh, Governor Carlson, do you want to start there? Uh, Chris, why don't you, you take the first part? I'll take the second. Okay. And uh, well, so the, the the first part. So there was a, a a study at the federal at the federal level that had been in the process for determining the impact of this type of mining on on the boundary waters. And uh, during the Trump administration, uh, that that report was to have been released, but the the, the Trump administration uh, uh, re refused to release it. It it, it it effectively suppressed that that study from from uh, from becoming public because of the uh, because of the damning findings in it. So when that when that study was released, it, it showed that this type of mining would 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 pollute the boundary waters, and so so that that's the that's the sort of uh, revelation that came out of out of that that study as well. Sort of related to that uh, was was the the issue relating to the uh, the the polymet mine. So the the polymet mine again would would pollute Lake Lake Superior, but it would would also go by the Fond du Lac Reservation mm. as part mm -hmm. of that process for dealing with the wetlands destruction permit for that the the US EPA was 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 supposed to have done a study to look at the impact of the wetlands destruction by uh, of the proposed polymet mine on the water quality of the Fond du Lac reservation uh, polymet would be the largest single permitted destruction of wetlands in Minnesota's history if it goes through and so the that's that that study had not been done by US EPA so the Fond du Lac ban had to sue the federal government to have US EPA do that study. In May of this year, 
US EPA came out with its results and, and concluded that the polymet mine as 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 designed right now would 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 uh, have a, a negative adverse impact would violate the water quality standards of the Fond du Lac reservation. So that's a, a separate uh, uh, revelation at the federal level, but but really important that underscores the uh, the problems with polymet there. Can I can I do a quick one quick follow up question with you, Chris, and then we'll turn to you, Governor Carlson. Is the the Fond du Lac uh, reservation is that surface water pollution or is that surface and groundwater pollution? Uh, it, it's surface water. Okay. It's surface water. So that, but but polymet would also have uh, groundwater pollution effects as as well. But but yes, it's the it's the surface water quality. Um, uh, regulations for the Fond du Lac band. And I ask that because I know that the Enbridge uh, Line 3 replacement, uh, they punctured through into some of the aquifers that serve uh, those okay. areas up there, and they still haven't actually repaired, uh, successfully repaired those uh, those aquifers to get back to uh, safe operation. Uh, Governor Carlson, you wanted to uh, comment about my question on uh, the permitting process for, for mining yeah. in Minnesota? There is this myth <laughs> that Minnesota has these rigorous, tough environmental standards when it comes to mining permitting. That is sheer, total nonsense. We have among the weakest and most relaxed laws. Mm. And this is verified by the industry itself. But I, I love the quote from a former commissioner of the DNR, uh, Tom Landwehr. And that is, he, he said that our laws are so outdated, they don't deal with any economic consequences. They don't deal with environmental consequences. And believe it or not, they don't deal with health consequences. These were laws that were written a long time ago by a legislative body that relied on the industry to provide the expertise necessary so they could write, if you will, technical permitting rules and regulations and that's what they did but the technical did not consider all the considerations that we now have today and what's interesting here the legislature and the administration has had years and years and years to review and correct those laws and they have chosen not to do it you know it's interesting as a conservative to notice that Permitting is targeted both by the Inflation Reduction Act that the Democrats are pushing, and it's also targeted by the uh, Clear Path group in the Republican part of the Congress. And so it seems like simplifying permitting is something that both parties want. But talking to you gentlemen and thinking about it myself, I'm thinking what we need to revise is the, to make it even tougher in some ways and to start to incorporate all these other ideas so we don't do the same thing with fossil fuels that we that we did with fossil right. fuels where we ignored the negative externalities because we weren't thinking about them we've learned now to think about those negative externalities I think this is the most important question that you can possibly raise and that is the obsessive focus based on yesteryear which is understandable on the technological ex uh, 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 implications of extracting minerals etc from the ground but what about the consequences on human life? Those have all been omitted. What are we talking about here today? Potential damages of billions and billions of dollars. A total inability to, to answer the question how we supply drinking water to Minnesotans or the upper Midwest. If we destroy Lake Superior, we're gone. We're not talking about 
any kind of environmental concerns. And that's all left out by the, by, by the permitting process. Now, I would like, and I mean this most sincerely, I think it's imperative that radio shows like yours bring on these elected officials and hold them accountable. We might just do that, Governor. We might just do that. I, I, I mean it. I drag them in by force if you have to and ask them some, some, some hard questions. I mean, not taking a single vote in four years on all of the various bills that Chris and the environmental groups have brought up relative to our own health and safety. You know, we, we talk about being conservative or liberal. Both philosophies have one thing in common, and that is the preservation of human life. But what we're seeing here is government by big money and short-sightedness. And I do want to ask you about that when we get towards the end of our show, because I know you have some thoughts on that as well. I do want to ask one quick follow-up from you, Chris. Uh, you're the lawyer. I know you look uh, closely at these things. Uh, the permitting process here in Minnesota, is the permitting process done to figure out how to approve every permit application, or is part of the permitting process to determine whether or not a project should even move forward? I mean, is that that's a philosophical question, maybe, but uh, considering everything that Governor Carlson just said, is that part of the process? Do we actually decide in that permitting process whether anything should move forward in the, in the industrial uh, extraction of minerals and resource, other resources? Great. Now, th thanks, John, for that question. And it kind of get, gets at, at uh, an issue that Bruce brought up a, a moment ago here. And there's sort of two things here. We, one, we, you know, we... Uh, we, we want to be able as a country to be able to do things and we don't want to just get tied up uh, in, in, uh, in things that prevent things from moving forward here. But we, we have, have a cultural thing with the with these agencies here and and basically they're permitting agencies that they they are ultimately are designed to issue permits and they'll say, well, you know, we got the best that we could here uh and really they they, they should ask the the fundamental question you know is should we should we do this at all and and that way cutting to the heart of it would would save a whole lot of time and get at the essence of it uh and and uh, for for these minds that the that the the costs are are, are very evident and uh um, and that they 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 outweigh the benefits and they they should not move forward so but the agencies are designed to you know to ultimately try to issue a permit as opposed to sort of saying, you know, this isn't the, these aren't the right people. This isn't the right place to do these. And, and to make that, that call would, would save everyone a lot of time and a lot of money. I like to uh, run public hearings in my planning commission. And I often tell the commissioners that if, if you can't understand what would let you say no to a project, then why are you bothering to listen to people? You know, if you, if you already have it set in your mind that there's no information you can get, Gentlemen, in this show, we have co-hosts who represent both sides of the political aisle, uh, though we're generally center-right and center-left spread. But regardless, we created this show in the hope that we could bring guests onto the show who discuss complex and often divisive issues, and uh, permitting is certainly in that category. As a conservative who sits on a township planning commission, I'm careful when we permit, as I told you earlier, gravel extraction, and we keep a bond. What I'm wondering is... You know, a seven billion dollar bond. I don't know. Uh, Twenty five million is certainly nowhere in that category, and that was the number you mentioned, Chris. I'm going to remind myself. Um, so the question then is, 
if we think that we're, we want to be able to do the mining up north because we do believe that it's not fair to go to you know, third world countries with, no, with weak political structures, what should we do in Minnesota to make sure that the mining is handled correctly? What policy solutions exist that address the concerns that we have? Well, the, the first obligation of government is to provide for the health, safety, and welfare of its people. That's the very first question, not the last, but the first. And toward that end, you have to agree that if you can't breathe clean air, you can't do it. And two, if you can't drink clean water, you can't do it. So what you want, you want to test the statement by Walter Mondale. Is he correct when he says that never in history has there been a sulfite mining project that has not caused irretrievable harm to the well-being of people, the environment, etc.? I have not heard a single mining company or any advocate for mining come back and say, yes, we have an example of where it's worked. Mm. This type of mining does not work in a water environment. It's as simple as that. And so the trade-off becomes human life or mining operation. I opt out for the preservation of human life. Without Lake Superior, I don't think we can make it. And, you know, to build on Governor Carlson's comments there, uh, Bruce and John, that that I think we need to be just honest, you know, that when uh, when that, that, they, that these mines will pollute the, 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 the mining companies assert like, you know, like the, like the, you know, some sort of fantasy that that they're not going to pollute. And and, you know, when when uh, uh, I'm, as I mentioned, I'm from Cleveland and when there was the, the, the stench in the air, you know, people would say, well, you know, Chris, that's that's the uh, that's the smell of money. And, you know, uh, you know, really, really. Right. And if, if for any of you that ever anyone uh, listening that grew up in a paper town or so uh, knows knows what that what that smelled like but that was the real sort of thing like hey that's that's how we put food on the on the table and so it's but we're not having that honest discussion like hey that these will pollute we're sort of saying like you know some sort of fantasy island thing like these are not going to cause you know we have to we'd have to be honest then the other part of the fantasy is that those those companies that are, are doing all those awful things in the Democratic Republic of Congo, well, that company actually has a name and it's Glencore. And that, that, that is the company that is working in the Democratic Republic of Congo with those child abuses. And that is a company that we are saying is just right for Minnesota. So so that we are we are inviting the, the fox it, it not not into the hen house, but into our house. And, and so, you know, so there has to be honesty on both fronts that that that, you know, that this will pollute and that we're, uh, we're letting the, the bad actors come to Minnesota to do that. That's well, let me let me ask the two of you a question. Uh, would you like to do business with Glencore? I, I would not. Me personally. No, I, I would rather have John do it. <laughs> <laughs> then, the, then the real real question is, why are our elected officials on both sides of the aisle perfectly willing to do business with Glencore, but refuse to tell us why? Hmm. Well, that that is an important question. And, and it was certainly one of the reasons we formed government is to protect us from people like Glencore. Right. Uh, that's right. one of the functions of, go- of a good government. Absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. And the hardest part is to make everybody else aware of how we can hold them accountable and make it work. Right. Look at what happened. Today, there's another story on an Enbridge leak, 
right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. We were warned about that. And look how we mistreated the people who warned us that this would happen. But based on their review of Enbridge, Enbridge is nothing but a series of mishaps. That seems to be their business model. <laughs> the state of Michigan had the wisdom to step back and say, no dice. We're not going any further with Enbridge. What did the state of Minnesota do? Plow right ahead. And so far as I know, it, you spoke, uh, John, about the aquifers being damaged by them. Now yeah. we have the possibility of a ruptured pipe, and they just built it, by the way. Yeah. Uh, gentlemen, we only have about 11 minutes left on the show. There's a couple other questions that uh, Bruce and I would like to ask you. Uh, I'll, lay, I'll lay this out very quickly. Uh, maybe you can give me a, a quick answer on this. Uh, what I think I've heard you say is that you're, you're not against mining, but you are deeply concerned and, and, frankly, pretty much against the process of how copper, nickel, and other minerals would be extracted from the earth in these two mines uh, at Twin uh, Metals and Polymet. Uh, so you're really deeply concerned about the process, the the chemistry process of extracting those things, all the waste that's uh, that's going to be left behind in, in the Boundary Waters and the Lake Superior Watershed. Would you support these mines if the earth that was extracted was hauled to an off-site location and processed in a place where it wouldn't threaten wetlands or watersheds? Would that be an acceptable solution? I know that's probably triple the cost for the companies to do that mining and processing rather than doing it right on site. Well, but would that, John, would that me, be a good me, solution or re, not? Let me rephrase your question. <laughs> okay. I think what we really, no, seriously, what yeah. we truly, really need is economic global cooperation on things like these rare metals that we need for technological purposes and for purposes of human advancement. Okay. I fully agree with that. And then you have agreements that certain types of mining must be in dry air, more arid areas, and we can do that. But you can't mix sulfite with water. The risks are so, so great. And I don't think any scientist is, or engineer can come to you and say, I will guarantee that this is a safe process. Because what you're putting at risk is not just the WBCA, or WBCA, but you're also putting Lake Superior at risk, and you can't do that. You simply cannot do that. Okay. Gentlemen, and, I have and, a, a... And, you know, oh, uh, go ahead, Chris. You know, just kind of build on Ar Arnie Carlson's comments <coughs> here. You, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a public school product, and so I ask some basic questions like who, what, and where. And mm -hmm. so in this, in this segment, we've looked at the who. We have these corrupt companies that would come to Minnesota. And we look at the what, the, the most polluting industry there is. And we look at the where we have lots and lots of water here. And so looking at the who, what, where questions here, we have a, a big problem here. And so, you know, uh, John, you were going to say something here. Well, I, Rich has a, a follow-up question for the two of you. Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, Rich Larson, I'm the, uh, the news director with KYMN, and I, I'm the guy who gets to run the board for this show. Um, <laughs> he, he makes it all happen every, every Friday. <laughs> I, I, I am listening to uh, to this conversation, which is fascinating and, and uh, far deeper than anything I ever would have uh, uh, would have imagined, and I am... I have to say, I'm, I'm, it, it, it leaves me feeling pretty pessimistic mm. about, about the way things go. So, Governor Carlson, if I may ask you, you're right. We need global cooperation to make this happen. In your estimation, is that a possibility? Is there hope for this? What are the odds that global cooperation could actually come together? 
Uh, that That's the question that's really asked every day. And right now we're living in a time of pessimism because we don't see the same global leadership that we had at the close of World War II. Mm. Uh, that doesn't mean that we can't have it. Uh, maybe it will be driven by a cataclysmic event that will bring us together and all of us realize that our ship is sinking and we better focus on that rather than all the other peripheral pro problems. Um, I'm optimistic that, uh, that it can be done because there is a growing realization as more and more areas get affected by climate change that we truly have to make climate change the global issue of, that is ranked number one and start to, to bring governments together and start talking about it, and then open the door to our adversaries to join in on us and see if they, too, won't get involved. We've done it on carbon emissions. We've done it on several other areas. Yes, it can be done, but it's going to take bold leadership and a great deal of patience at a time when, when, when frankly, the clock is running out on us. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in with another clock running question then. Uh, there's another proposed mining project called the Tamarack Mine up north. Right. Uh, it's already cut deals to support Tesla uh, with nickel. Right. And we all know that electric vehicles are going to need these kinds of minerals. This particular mine is in the wetlands northeast of Mille Lacs, so it's not part of the Boundary Waters issue, and it's only indirectly the Superior, Lake Superior issue. Um, would you support initiation of that project? Do you think that might be a, a good complement to these others and maybe provide some jobs relief in that area? Governor Carlson, do you want to start off with that, answering that one? Well, it, 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 it's going to depend upon a number of factors. Right now, there's probably about 15 uh, early stage permitting uh, going on up there. And what's ultimately at risk is the whole watershed area that provides uh, the, the access, the recreational and the, the uh, health uh, water ac uh, uh, access in the Brainerd Bemidji area. Uh, my answer right now is uh, you better prove it first. Mm. Um, if they can come in and demonstrate a perfectly safe system, then I think we should be open to it. But anything short of that is a no. And Chris? And, yeah, and to build on Governor Carlson's comments here, I mean, we've been talking about the uh, uh, the, the watershed and watersheds involving the boundary waters and, and Lake Superior here, but the you know the, the concerns equally apply to the, the St. Croix and Mississippi River watersheds as, as well, and and so the the concern with water is there, and that proposed mine uh, encompasses thirty thousand acres, that kind of a footprint that is you know just just uh, huge there, and so. Um, I think what we're seeing is that companies, you know, is using a little better PR strategy there and bringing Tesla into that kind of rate up front. Uh, you know, I, I think that that the supply of, of nickel to Tesla would have to go online in, in 2026, which yeah. is, you know, again, has a bit of a fantasy island feel to it that it's, uh, <laughs> you know, kind of that kind of shows that this was not really a policy, but more of a press release to do so that they've. It's more of like a, a PR stunt than uh, than than a, a real a real thing here. But I think that the, the you know the 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 issue again, kind of the who, what, where. Uh, then if you if you're in in a, in a, in a, in a if it's in the where question, if it's a, a, a critical wetlands watershed issue, you really need to look at the uh, the impact of what's being proposed there. And uh, uh, and you know as Governor Carlson. And his comment was, you need to prove it first. 
So we have about four minutes left. Uh, I want to give each of you just a, a minute and a half, two minutes each. Uh, what what didn't we ask you today that we should have? Uh, what closing thoughts do, we, do you want to leave our listeners with before we sign off? Well, I, th- I think we have to open the door to the obvious question of financial interest dictating public policy. Mm. Um, a year ago, May, the Humphrey Institute put out a report that the infusion of big money is so powerful and so influential that now big contributors are able to, and this is a quote, shape legislation. That means public policy is for sale to the highest bidder. And that in part, I think, answers the Glencore question. The second part is that caucuses have raised, for the 2020 elections, they raised over $26.5 million. They are larger than both political parties, They have a staff, a partisan staff that exceeds 320 people, all paid for by we, the taxpayer. So we're paying for the biggest political operations, partisan operations in the state. And the result is we get gridlock. Mm. But it's all paid for by us. And every legislator, when you add up that that uh, $26.5 million and divided by 201 legislators should come out with roughly, every incumbent starts out with roughly 136,000 of special interest money. Now you ask yourself the question, who do you think they serve? We're destroying the whole concept of a citizen's legislature and frankly, we're destroying democracy. And Chris Knopf. You know, I, I want to uh, thank uh, uh, both both of you, uh, uh, John and, and Bruce, here for for having <coughs> me and for for, uh, for being on with you, uh, Governor Carlson, as well. Thank you. Um, that you know, we are a government by uh, for and of of the people, and and we have elections coming up here in less than a hundred days, and so so we can make a difference. I'm a, a believer in the democratic process. That the, the sort of uh, uh, gridlock is not something that we should accept that that we should demand of uh, everyone running that we have a full public hearing on, on these issues that we don't bury these issues that we we have we actually have legislative hearings and then we have votes on these issues and that we have a, a real uh, a real democratic process uh, uh, that 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 works and so I ask uh, Everyone listening here to demand the, of, of their public officials that we have we have hearings on this and, and actually uh, use our, our democratic system. All right. Well, thank you. I, I want to thank our guests, Governor Arnie Carlson and Chris Knopf. Thank you for joining us today. And this has been a really enlightening conversation, to say the least. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll echo. Uh, thank you. Yes, sir. I'll echo Bruce's comments. Uh, thank you both so much for taking time from your busy schedules to join us today. This was a this pleasure. was a great thank discussion. You. And folks, that closes this week's edition of Public Policy This Week. We're on every Friday morning at 10 a.m. For today's show, we're your hosts, Bruce Moreland and John Olson. Please tell your family and friends about this show. Remember, it is our hope this show will get us back to having meaningful, in-depth, and civil conversations about public policy challenges, challenges we all share together as Minnesotans and as Americans. We want everybody to be armed with facts and data, to hear from policy experts, and for you to use the information from our show to decide for yourself what the best options are for these highly complex policy issues. We'll have more shows on mining and other economic drivers in northern Minnesota in the future, so tune in each Friday morning for our show.
Thank you all for joining us today. We hope you will join our show again next Friday morning at 10 a.m. Remember, you can find every edition of this show, including this one, on your favorite podcast service under Public Policy This Week. You've been listening to Public Policy This Week. Tune in every Friday morning at 10 a.m. for more conversation with policy experts. Remember, this show can be found on your favorite podcast platform or stream it from kymnradio.net.